take three. Scuba Obsessed, a weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear to places a dive and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 363 is recorded live March 29th, 2018. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Gilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan. Joining me this week, we have Mac the Dive Mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well. Glad to be here and... We're going to start a new trend here. Yeah, almost starting on time. And also joining us this week, we have Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? I am doing just great, Darren. Thank you. And Excellent. how are you, since Kevin's not here, I'll ask. <laughs> I'm doing great. I was going to say I have tomorrow off, but I don't. I think I'm the only person probably in this side of the state, other than uh, probably police officers and nurses who are working. I'll be working. You're open for Good Friday? Oh, yes. Oh, excellent. I see. I just need to find a good reason to play hooky. You got to go pick up a scuba tank. Yeah, I do. I do need to do that. Oh, yeah. And then just uh, to get started, uh, next week we will not be having a show. It will be a bye week. I'll be away at a robotics competition, but we should be back. No, we won't be back the following week either. It'll be two weeks in a row without a show. I may have to put together a best of show or something just to bridge the gap and they'll be back the following week and then we'll have one more week off so it is that time of the year we've got a competition next week for the robotics team which is the the two district and then provided they qualify for state uh that will be the following week and then worlds is two weeks later well hopefully you guys will work your way right on up they're they're looking pretty good this year so I, i feel confident about state i think we may already have more than enough points after the first event to qualify. Great. World is not a sure thing because how they do the points is they, they triple the scores you get at state, and then that gets added to the previous points to qualify for Worlds. So we'll, we'll just have to see. But I'm feeling good. The, 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 the kids got a good robot again this year. Well, let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. I'd like to thank everybody who's in the chat room. We have Derek who's, who's hanging around and listening online. If you want to know how to listen online, you go to the website, uh, and we will have links to our, I was, I was going to say Slack, but it's not Slack, it's digi, uh, Discord. So uh, we use Discord chat room and record, and then you get to listen live as we're recording, and then you can participate, paste things in, try and distract us, which is not too hard. The first article we have is a follow-up. The Outer Bank shipwreck won't be disturbed by a new bridge over the, the Pemico Sound. Pimlico. Pimlico? Pimlico. P-I-M. Pim. Is it P-I-M? It says P-A-M. As far as I know, they pronounce it Pimlico. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll go for that. I always pronounce it Pimlico. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> I'll, I'll go with your version. It's April already. I mean, I've probably been wrong once this year so far. Oh, I don't believe that. Uh, a bridge set for construction this year will pass directly over the remains of a ship that found kamikaze aircraft in Okinawa near the end of World War II. The 2.4-mile span will stay on the same path as planned, and the metal carcass with a surprising backstory will stay there as, long as it has been since the 1960s. Some locals thought the vessel hauled gravel. Others theorized it might have been a repurposed craft, perhaps used by the Coast Guard. But the dimension and other clues showed the ship was once called the USS LC... S-123, said Nathan Richards, head of Marine Heritage Program at the Coastal Studies Institute in Wenchesee. In the day, the ship was forced to be reckoned with. There was barely enough room to walk around the weapons on board. It was maxed out full of weapons. Richard Underwater Archaeology students at the East Carolina University study and mapped the wreckage last year. The North Carolina Department of Transportation funded the work because the wreck sat where a new bridge would go. There would have been money to study the remains of what was believed to be a barge, Richard said, turns out the wreck was eligible to be listed in National Register of Historic Places. Proposed bridge would pivot from NC-12 north of Rodanath, arcing south to 
Pimlico Sound and reconnecting the highway within the village. will bypass the part of the highway vulnerable to ocean overwash. The state is funding the $145.3 million project. Richards dug deeper to find out how the boat ended up about 1,000 feet offshore in three, week, three feet of water. The WP Hunt Oil Company in Virginia bought the vessel from the government surplus in 1947, modified it to haul petroleum products, renamed the Hunt Brothers Number 10. The vessel plied the waters of coastal Virginia for nearly 20 years. Then it disappeared from government records, Richard said. Richard spoke with the son of an oil company owner who remembered the boat and that was possibly sold in the mid-1960s to prominent Dare County Daniels family on the Outer Banks. The ship was likely purposely grounded in the late 1960s to work as an anchor to dislodge gravel barges beached near the shoreline. Photos of the 1970s showed the boat in decent shape, protruding above the water. Virginia pilot photographer Drew Wilson snapshots of it in the 1980s and later. The rusted, broken-down hull, believed to be a gravel barge, had a more important story to tell uncovered because the wreck sat in the path of a bridge. So what it sounds like is that they sunk this to use it as an anchor point to haul barges that were beached. Did I get that right? That sounds correct. It's like they use the Ann Arbor for a breakwater for the nuclear plant yeah. off South Haven. Yeah, it gave it a little bit of extra life. So that's what it ended up being. That, that That's a follow-up to an article we had covered earlier. And this next one, I almost, I, I'm not sure if it's true. I've I've tried to verify. The website it's found on is ebombsworld.com. And it says a scuba diver is hospitalized after he tried having sex with a giant clam. And uh, it says, who would have thought the idea would have backfired? Scuba diver is being hospitalized at Kawa's Hospital on the island of Hawaii after he inserted his penis into a giant clam while recreational diving. Sean, 22, was transported to the hospital after suffering severe breathing complications, vomiting, extreme swelling, and low blood pressure. Doctors believe physical contact with giant mollusks may have triggered his allergy to seafood and exposed him to high levels of arsenic. The scuba diver whose condition has stabilized said he inserted his penis inside the clam as a prank to impress his friends. Thomas Meyer, it was just a joke at first. My friend was filming, so I wanted to impress him and put my member into the clam, but then it just wouldn't let go, he told reporters. The amateur diver also admitted he was still hung over from the night before and consumed GHB in ecstasy, which impaired his judgment at the time. It didn't hurt anything. It didn't hurt or anything. It felt warm and cozy inside the clam. But I was afraid my oxygen reserves were getting low, he admitted. Now, does does Dan, I, I don't remember seeing it, but do they uh, recommend uh, uh, those uh, pharmaceuticals he was taking? I don't, I don't remember seeing those uh, GHB and ecstasy. I, I, I don't remember those on the uh, patty course. I, I would tend to believe that those you know, were not necessarily encouraged to be uh, partaken up or dying within 48 hours afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that needs to be a new way, a warning on the bottle. Uh, taking this may cause you to have sex with clams. Uh, after eventually releasing himself from the clam, the young man was later developed a severe allergic reaction and was rushed to the hospital. A doctor believes that the diver's body reacted to digestive enzymes in a giant mollusk which is possibly trying to digest the man's genitals at the time of the incident. He admits it was the first case of this kind he's seen in his 22 years of practice. Allergies to seafood are fairly common and usually occur after ingestion of the fish or shellfish, not after sexual intercourse with it, he told local reporters. Well, did the clam have any adverse effect? Yeah, I, I, I think PETA should get after this guy. Uh, a fatal incident occurred at the... Waikiki Aquarium in Honolulu in 2014 when an aquarium employee put his head inside a giant clam and lost consciousness before he could be rescued, confirming the local reputation of the mollusks as the killer clam. In Hawaii folklore, the clam goddess was forcefully impregnated by the shark god but snapped the shark god's genitals as revenge, leaving him emasculated, thus giving birth to the natives of Hawaii. Is a clam bisexual? Uh, I don't, don't ask, know. don't tell. I'm not well, sure. A female fatale if it's female. Yeah, I'm, I'm don't not ask, sure. Don't ask, don't tell. So is this real or not? Can we tell? 
You know, you really don't make these things up. That's all I got to say. <laughs> oh. I'm just thinking of the person at the hospital who's, who's coding that. I mean, they're, you know, they're going through the, you know, the, the medical coding and, you know, looking for sex with clams. Well, I'm sure they got the allergic aspect of it, but I bet they didn't give the uh, continuing fact, you know, yeah. or contributing fact. The next article we have is recovered letters from the SS Garsopa shipwreck to go on display in London. A treasure trove of hundreds of lost letters, including personal messages from soldiers to their loved ones, have been recovered from a World War II shipwreck in almost pristine condition. More than 700 personal letters were by chance preserved in an airlock on board the Garsopa as it sank to the bottom of the Atlantic in 1941. The section, a selection of those, is now going on show in London's Postal Museum as part of a new exhibit, Voices from the Deep. The steam cargo ship was attacked by German U-boats while traveling from India to Britain. In February of 1941, torpedoed at about 480 kilometers off the coast of Ireland, the ship then sank almost 4,700 meters to the bottom of the North Atlantic Ocean. Just one man of the 84 crew members and two gunners made it back to land alive. They lay there forgotten for 70 years. Eight weeks at sea on the ocean, it runs out of coal and backs out of the convoy and is sitting duck. A gift to Hitler, marine archaeologist and guest curator Sean Kingsley said. Fast forward to 2011 when marine archaeologists discovered the long-lost shipwreck. In its cargo sat millions of ounces of silver sent from colonial India, India to the U.K. to help fund the war effort. But as divers shifted through the wreckage, another surprise discovery appeared. Unbeknown and unsurprised, the massive, large slime and smelling of rotten eggs came up, Dr. Kinsley said. And the conservation lab slowly and suddenly words and phrases started to appear. And now this turned out to be a collection of some 700 letters written from British India in November and December of 1940. It shouldn't have been preserved because there was no light, there was no oxygen, but it was darkness. It was like putting a collection of organics into a tin can, sealing it up and putting it in a fridge freezer. Within 70, Written 77 years ago and never delivered, the letters shed a light on the correspondence during the war. They are examples of soldiers writing to loved ones, businessmen, and missionaries. One letter written on December 1, 1940, by Private Pete Walker was the, to his most precious sweetheart. Was it Phil? The Postal Museum Expedition offer, Officer Emma Harper said Private Walker wrote how he'd wept with joy after she accepted his marriage proposal, which was also sent via mail. It's just so gushing, said Mrs. Harper. He said, I wept with joy. I couldn't believe it. You don't know how happy you've made me, darling. But then... In contrast to that, he spends the first half of the letter just going on about, oh, I should have been waiting for the right letter in the right order. I've had books from you this week. I have had newspapers, but it was that letter that I had been waiting for. The exhibit also includes sections of items removed from the shipwreck, including shoes, teapots, medicine bottles, and silk clothes. I think they left some stuff out in the middle. What was that? You mean the silver? Well, no, but, well, yeah, obviously that's the number one to me, but it's an unbeknown and unsurprised and massive slime. I mean, smelling them, and then, then suddenly after, or in the conservation lab, or, you know, what happened between the slime and the putting them in the conservation place? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure that this is a really too well of a put-together article. What I'm assuming in, in that in-between point uh, Somebody was like, well, let's just throw it over. Uh, I, I, I do believe they had an archaeologist on board because this was, uh, I think they, they cut the top off of this vessel to get down to the silver. Uh, this was uh, one of those recoveries by, oh, a company out of Florida that I own stock in. Who never makes me money. Odyssey. Do you have an archaeologist on the ones that are outside the mile limits of anybody's domain? They did on this one. I think there was a discovery program where they, they showed this a couple of years ago. But I don't remember anything about uh, finding these letters. It's been a while since I saw it. But it's mostly about trying to get as much silver up as they could as quickly as possible. I guess it's not cheap to run one of those big boats and have a couple ROVs running around. Yeah, I think. <laughs> and then we have a... Saudi woman scuba diving pioneer strives to push forward the kingdom's tourism plan. Okay, now I'm 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 looking at her name, A L O S A I M I. 
Velocimi, a master scuba diver trainer, is a pioneer in her field, holding a local record for the deepest dive by a Saudi female at 345 feet or 105 meters. The technical dive required five tanks and lasted more than 70 minutes. Her passion for scuba diving takes her on hour-long bus rides to ride to work each day from Jeddah to King Abdullah's Economic City. There she works at a dive center recently opened in Bay La Sun Marina and Yacht Club in preparation for the kingdom's plan to open up a tourist, open it to tourists later this year. For decades, visitors to Saudi Arabia have largely either been pilgrims heading to Mecca and Medina or business travelers heading to the capital of Raidya and other major cities like Jeddah and Daman. Uh, Saudi Arabia's 32-year-old heir to the throne, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, is trying to change that with the introduction of tourist visa. Tourism has been promoted as a way to create more jobs for Saudis, attract foreign investment, boost the economy, and further improve the country's image abroad. Tourism officials said the country isn't targeting mass tourism, but select tour groups interested in nature, diving, hiking, and cultural sites. Saudi Arabia is a Muslim country that hosts two of the holiest sites in Islam, and these facts need to be respected whenever tourists travel around, enjoy themselves, and engage with people, he said. The government's Southern Wealth Fund, which the Crown Prince oversees, has identified 250-kilometer stretch with Red Sea coastline that it plans to transform into a global luxury travel destination with diving attractions and a huge nature reserve. The fund says the area will be semi-autonomous destination governed by laws on par with international standards. The Red Sea has also cited an ambitious $500 billion project called NEAM, an independent economic zone in the corner of the country near Egypt and Jordan that sits on 26,500 square kilometers of untouched land, an area bigger than the U.S. state of Maryland. Prince Mohammed says he envisioned it as a hub for a technical innovation that will create jobs and attract investment. Prince is trying to shake off the old stereotypes of Saudi Arabia. He brought back musical concerts after a two-decade ban. He promised to return to movie theaters, and he's behind a decision to lift the ban on women driving in June. One lesser knows change has already been a huge impact on uh, Velosimi's life. She says the Saudi border guard no longer stops women from going out on boats without a male guardian, such as a husband, father, or brother. Rather than do shore dives, she can now explore the waters freely. Egyptian train Tamer Nasser, who worked on Egypt's Red Sea resort city of Sharam el Sheikh for more than 20 years, said it could take divers years to map out Saudi Arabia's nearly 12,000 kilometer uh, of the Red Sea coastline. They have here a huge area to discover, he said, adding that divers from Bela Sun Marina have already found a number of underwater wrecks and dive sites that could draw tourists. Diving remains rare among Saudis. To connect with other female divers in Saudi Arabia, she created a group called Pink Bubbles Divers and organized a day in Jeddah last year for women to dive together and enjoy a private day at the beach. Once the ban on women diving is lifted this summer, she plans to take a road trip with friends to discover the new dive sites far further north. I used to feel bad because I know the Red Sea in Egypt more than the Red Sea in Saudi Arabia. And I have the opportunity to see these places in the reef. So so here's the, the thing. Once the ban on women diving is lifted this summer. Well, I think that could have been a little bit of a detriment to your dive industry. And I'm wondering how many women are going to want to go to Saudi Arabia to dive. I mean, do you want to have to wear a headscarf every time you're not underwater? Well, she's not wearing one. Oh, my gosh. They're going to send somebody out after her. Let me see in the photos. Maybe she was in Egypt at the time. Right. Like the seven-mile limit or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds like they're trying to create these exclusive zones. but That sort of sounds like money to me, though, doesn't it? Well, they're, they're, they're seeing that the, uh, the oil train isn't as good as it used to be for them. You know, the advantage they have over most other countries is their oil is cheap to get, but it's not going to last forever, and you need to somehow diversify your economy. And the challenge they they have is that a lot of people don't think that work is something that they should be required to do. Better to diversify now and later. Oh, yeah. yeah that's They're, they're doing it now. You can. There's talk that there's gonna, they're uh, going to put post in the market uh their oil company i don't think they've they've picked the market yet i, I think uh new york and london are the the final two locations for that and that's expected to be to have a market value over a trillion dollars and this next interview we're not we're not going to go through and and read the whole thing but you can find it in our show notes uh but it's an interview with linus 
uh, Torvald. I should know how to pronounce his name, but it's one of those names I only read a lot. You never actually say it out loud. But he is the developer of uh, Linux, uh, an operating system that's used in a lot of uh, file servers and web servers uh, based on Unix originally. And uh, one thing that he's done is he's an avid diver and actually leads an open source project on diving software, which I keep thinking I'm going to get around and try, and I haven't done it. Uh, it's called Subservice, an open source utility for dive logging and planning. That's so something I want to, I need to try that out, as adverse as I am to actually doing any sort of dive logging. But by looking at the uh, screenshots they have in the article, it looks pretty good. Here's here's an expert. I had no interest in planning. I just wanted to be able to see my dives with some reasonable overview format and get a profile and gas usage. I had been annoyed by how all the crazy XML I saw, so I wanted to save our format to be saner. I stuck with XML initially. That changed when we did the cloud saving with Git. I got rid of most of the nastiest, crazy stuff so that XML files subservice would write would at least be somewhat legible. Uh, Eric in the chat room is saying, what screenshot? Ah, neglected to paste the show notes, slips into the chat room. Well, Derek just put a nice picture in of his beach where he's diving. Well, that looks nice. Looks darn nice. Looks like Lake Michigan. Kind of does. Some boats sitting out there. It was interesting reading the rest of the article, though, talking about his, uh, what he liked and didn't like and how he got his training, how long it took him, and finally got a dive buddy. Yeah. yeah there, you can relate to a lot of that. Oh, I, I can. Well, and I thought it was interesting, and it was kind of what I thought. He said even though he had done 200 dives, he really didn't feel like he was all that good of a diver. He was, he was just going on boats, and the only dive buddies that he had had are like, hey, you have to have a dive buddy. Why don't, why don't you two get together and dive? Which we've seen that on a, on a cattle boat. They just have to. Because of the requirements, make sure everybody's got a buddy. Well, I like the part where he talks about, I'm not rebreather certified, but I've done the rebreather discovery thing. And while I loved being upside down or being down for two plus hours and not just having to worry about my gas supply all that much, and he was talking about and found the warm, moist air breathing, pleasant surprise. He didn't like diving on rails or that diving on rails feeling he got from the fact that my rebreather really wanted to be in one particular position in the water and remember with your with the lung, with the uh, lungs, lungs you've got to have it in the right yeah your counter lungs you got to sort of get used to it in one position and it does change when you rotate yeah yeah it it takes quite a bit of getting used to and i only uh did it that one time uh, on the two different devices and I, I mean i would certainly if i had the the extra money and time and maybe a big boat <laughs> it would certainly be on the list but not yet well, a lot of people can relate to his other comment where he talked about you'll find me in the warm water where i can dive with a five millimeter or less preferably less so that means he's definitely a warm water diver and that's what he likes and i think if i had that option i'd like that too yeah i think he's, he's up there in scandinavia so yeah he may be in scandinavia but he's been diving in all the warm spots well, I don't think he's hurting for money, so. You think? Yeah. Not not quite got Bill Gates' money, but he, he's done okay. Well, you see that picture of him, and he's doing side mount. His body position looks pretty good. His form looks nice. Did you see the photo I'm talking about? Um. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he does look pretty good. Yeah, he's, and that looks like a rebreather, too, doesn't it? No, is that? Well, I'm not sure. It looked like side mount, so I, that's why I couldn't really tell, but. Yeah. I don't see any bubbles, so probably as a rebreather and uh, I was just a big bailout. Going by the, uh, or it could be, you know, some, uh, yeah, I guess it could be a bailout. He's doing uh, a tech dive. Oh, it says this photo is neither of Linus or Dirk, but just for illustration. So that's not even him. That's why I was so good, huh? <laughs> <laughs> professional, you know, is it like the car commercials? You know, that this is a professional driver in a closed course. And then yeah, we, professional driver, closed course, don't do this at home. Yep. And we are at that time of the year where you get shipwrecks showing up all over the place. And here we have an old one that showed up on Ponte Verde Beach. Staff from the St. Augustine Lighthouse Archaeological Maritime Program examined the remains of a ship 
Wednesday that washed up in the South Ponte Verde overnight. The ship is believed to date back as far as the late 1700s. I see it's in pristine condition, though. Yeah, it, yeah, it looks like it could float right now. And those who can't see it were being a little facetious because it's a, as we would call here, a rubble wreck. Nothing but a few bones. Uh, like I said uh, it could date from the late 1700s to the 1800s as originally sheathed in copper, as evidenced by some copper tack heads that were still visible, wooden pegs or nails, called trunnels, which were used to secure the hull to the wooden ribs, are also visible, as are Roman numerals carved in the ribs, said maritime historian Brendan Burke. They said there's a chance the high tide could pull the wreck, which is the property of the state, back under the water again for who knows how long. There's a little little gap. There's little legally that can be done about that, said researchers from St. Augustine Lighthouse and Maritime Museum, who came to the wreck Wednesday afternoon to document it. While it was still there with photos, videos, notes, and measuring tape, with those photos, they can create a 3D model of what the hull looked like, said Chuck uh, Mead, LAMPS Director of Maritime Research. This is amazing. This is a section from a big sailing ship, I can tell you that. Shortly after they arrived, Mead and his colleague, LAMP Maritime Historian Brendan Burke, stood up from the examining the wreck and exchanged smiles. This is what we were born for, Burke said. The wooden remains were apparently... First sighted before 8 a.m. by Julia Turner, a Volano Beach resident who spent Tuesday night at home of her parents visiting from Georgia. They had just rented south from the Guana River Preserve South parking lot from the deck. She thought she saw a piece of a fence or dune and walked over the shore, but her 8-year-old son Patrick knew it right away what it was. When I looked at the window, it was immediately a ship, he said. Burke said the hull of the ship, which we estimated in the late 1700s to 1800s, was originally, and we, we saw that before really amazing to see somebody's writings have been burned into the ocean for more than a century. Maritime Museum officials believe the wreck may have been buried in the sand offshore and would account for it being so well preserved, then washed onto the beach due to recent storm wave action. Patrick Turner City was playing on the beach Tuesday when nothing was there, then just sand, water, shells, and a stick. Needs of the ship may not have wrecked anywhere nearby. Some wreckage can float hundreds of miles before coming ashore. St. Augustine Lighthouse and Maritime Museum staff have logged and investigated dozens of shipwrecks on St. John's and Duval counties since its founding decades ago, including remains of hulls exposed along beachfronts by passing storms. This wreck rested below the high tide line, and even several hours before high tides Wednesday afternoon, waves washed up against it. Three pieces of wood from the old boat were scattered several yards away further up the beach. Mark Anthony, a treasure hunter and salvager who runs Spanish Maine Antiques in St. Augustine, was dismayed as he watched the ocean threaten a ship again. He's been there most of the day and said that waves had already broken off part of the main section of the wreck, and that's what I'm worried about right there, he said as a wave reached up the sand covering the shoes and bouncing off the hull. He vowed to stay with the wreck as the water rose. If people care so much about history, let's do what we can to preserve it, he said. Nancy said he'd never seen an old wreck this large and well-preserved, pushed up the beach for anyone to see. To me, this is a bucket list check. So well-preserved. I was, I was curious about some of the comments about that. You know, when you, when you have a, a wreck with a car and you have a car door laying off to the side, is that car wreckage or is that a door from a wreck? If you have, you know, in good condition, I'm looking at that and I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure I, I believe the aspect in good condition. And again, is it part of a, is it a hull or is it part of a hull? I'm, what is it really? I would say that is parts of a hull because it's not the whole hull. But when they say hull pristine, it's like I, I have problems with that because it ain't. No. And then again, you know, he's worried about the, the water. Well, Mother Nature takes precedent over state law. Right. She wants it. She's got it. Well, could you imagine, okay, let's conserve this, okay, a million and a half dollars later. You you have to, who's going to go to a museum to see that? I mean, you're going to have to, like, recreate the other 90% of the ship that's not there to get anybody to even comprehend exactly what it is. And I would dare say you're you're a lot more than 90% missing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I'm just looking at the, those are really interesting spikes coming out for the for the assembly. So I'm curious where the pegs are. 
I'd like to have seen some pictures of the other debris they're talking about and the tacks. I'd like to see that too. Yeah. They don't show any uh, close-ups, but you can see down the beach there's a couple boards. But, yeah, this is not – have you scrolled through the photos? No, I was just taking a look at that one particular one. Yeah, there's arrows on the right and the left. I'm just smart the... enough to find the arrow, yeah. Now I'm going to look at the other one. <laughs> but that, that wood looks like it's been exposed before and dried on the second picture. Uh-huh. It like the dry cracks on there. It looks like it's been dried free no, we re-wet. Yeah, the question is, did it wash up or did it just uncover the sand around it? Right. You know, had it been sitting there and the sand's just now been moved off of it. You know, we've got that same situation with that wreckage on the north side of the pier. Yeah. You and yeah. I went out and measured a few years ago. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is definitely a whole structure. You know, can you see where yeah. the, there's no knees on it, but you can see the arc or the yeah, arc already. Yeah, and inner and outer. Yeah. And, and looking at the, the the metal pieces there, you could probably do a little bit of review and see how they were fabricated by looking at the metal consistency, what kind of strands, what kind of uh, erosion they're having on it. Yeah. give you and a little do, clue. Do a uh, metallurgy analysis of them to determine how old they are and where they came from. Yeah. Just like if you do carbon dating on wood, you can do that same thing with metal. And I'm, I'm looking at that second picture, the close-up, and now that I look at that, that doesn't look like metal, does it? Take a look at the second picture where you get the close-up of the knees. That almost does look like wood pegs. I wish I had a better picture. Now, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I think they are wood pegs. I, there are. I just blew, yeah. I just captured it, blew it up, and you can see the, the wood strains. Now, that is interesting. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, I preserve parts of it. That definitely would help with dating. Yes. Yeah. Have to see if we can follow this one a little more. Yeah, hopefully they they find something more out about it. But I agree with you. The pristine. Uh, I'm guessing they're they're saying that that's relative to what they see. Or something that's better than nothing. Yeah, I like the part about the wood part. Let's see. How many more do we got? I think that's it. Yeah, I think that was the last one. We ran through them. Well, did you do or in the upside down? Let's really like the most extreme scuba dive. I yeah, we, we missed that one. We missed that one somewhere along the way. And that was uh, weird and wonderful creatures that populate Hawaii's offshore waters are visible each night on blackwater dives. And so what they're talking about is uh, two miles offshore downtown Kalua Kana, near a blanket of cloudy, moonless darkness, seven scuba divers enter the water. If I could do one dive for the rest of my life, this would be it, says the dive leader. What they're talking about is they're doing some some night dives. Wow, that is, now here, there's an amazing photo. Uh, well, that first one's an amazing photo. That sea wasp? Yeah. That's, that is nice. Yeah, photo by Jeffrey Millison. A sea wasp box jelly maneuvers through the nighttime waters. And then that next one is a dive leader. Sarah Mady goes eye to eye with a squid. And I'm not going to tell you what the Latin name of it is, but just uh, the way they did that, just you can see the, the very translucent part of its body, the mantle there. And in the article, they talk about that. Uh, Pretty much every dive, we see many things that are not formally known to science. And this is Stephen Haddock, Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute. When people see the insane body patterns of these plankton, Haddock says you get the news item saying weird half shrimp, half fish, or half small snail, half jellyfish fish found, and describing a, a salp or something. They struggle to find the right metaphor to explain these things, even though they're just so common and out there. The crazy thing is that pelagic, pela, goodness, I'm not, I'm not even going to get that today. Zooplankton spotted in the blackwater dives are just not common, Attic says, but because the open ocean is so huge and so vast, these alien creatures are actually some of the most abundant organisms on the planet. Then look at that, uh, that tiny larval lobster hitches a ride in the bell of a jellyfish. Looks almost like an X-ray. It does. 
And then the Deep Sea Hula Skirt Ethnophore is actually a colony of animals. According to Stephen Haddock's research, 76% of the organisms seen in blackwater knife dives can make their own light. The average one-tank blackwater night dive with a commercial diving outfit in Kona costs $175. 60 to 80 minutes is the length of an average blackwater dive. Boats departing Kona tend to dive 2 to 3 miles offshore before reaching the ideal depth for a dive between 3,000 and 8,000 feet of water. I don't know if I consider that the ideal depth for a dive, but maybe for what they're doing. 2 in 100, the frequency that sharks are spotted on the dives, according to Staff Jack's diving locker. There have also been zero shark attacks on the dives, which is something you want to point out if you're trying to encourage people. Did, did you read all of that? It's like what I'm reading here says, as I descended in a cloud of bubbles, I saw a matey way down below give the shark a body check to move it away. Excuse me? <laughs> in the dark? Yeah, that's something you don't normally put on the brochure. Uh, she said, it was like pushing a cow, she said. The thing was a solid wall of muscle, and I'm going to be pushing it. <laughs> Isn't that like a hamburger hitting me in the head? I don't. I'd sit back <laughs> with my GoPro and watch Jim do that. Yeah. I bet right, you yeah. would. I bet you would. Here, get closer for the selfie. Mm. Look at that clam, Jim. <laughs> hey, I'm not the one that spent a month in Hawaii in the hospital. I mean, recovering. <laughs> Wait a minute now. That's right. We do know somebody who just got back. Ah. <laughs> Maybe the name and age were uh, changed to protect the innocent. The guilty. Or the guilty. <laughs> <laughs> it's being optimistic. Well, that does it for Scuba in the News. I think that was kind hey, of an unusual collection. Yes, Jim? I was pulling on Kevin here and doing some research. Uh-huh. Uh, that first ship that we talked about, the USS LCS-123. Yeah. Uh, I looked to see what LCS stands for, because I always wondered. And it stands for Landing Craft Support. Ah. Large. Or at the time, it stood for Landing Craft Support, LCS. As opposed to LST, right? As opposed to LST. Transport. Yep. Or LSH, Landing Ship Heavy. Ah. LC is Landing Ship, LC is Landing Craft. I remember what my dad used to talk about back in the day. Actually, LST they... is sorry, Landing Ship Tank. You're saying about your dad? Yeah, I remember back in the day, and this is in the 40s, when he said they'd go out and they'd practice their coming over the side of the ship and the landing nets to get into the LSTs. Doesn't sound like a fun thing to me. I mean, maybe in peacetime, <laughs> but not if you're never going to shoot at you. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't think I'd want to pilot one of those either. No. Because reminds me of the work that Ralph did a few years back, uh, mapping the all the wrecks and wreckage along the beach in Normandy. You know, for, the still time, for the first time, they went back and mapped all that stuff. As a, as a side note, did you know that France filed the suit against us to replenish and make the beach like it was before we had the invasion? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's let's go there. <laughs> 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 it's like, really? I, I think if if that's the case, you just foreclose on France and call it done. But no, no, no. We we can't do that because they're going to charge us lease, lease for all the space that we that's being taken up by the dead dead soldiers who are buried there. Oh gosh! No, well. oh, we, 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 we just lost all our listeners from France. Yeah, moving right along. <laughs> You mean both of them? Yeah, the, the the two of them. Well, we've only got seven listeners, so. Okay. Hey, I want to set up a road trip. Sure. I want to go back and dive the USS San Diego on August the 9th this year. August the 9th. Where is the USS San Diego at? Off Fire Island. I'm sorry, July 19th. Oh, July 19th. July 19th. we got to mm-hmm. mark that date. That's the 100th anniversary of the sinking of the USS San Diego off Fire Island, New York. 
or Sandy Hook, New Jersey. You can get there either way. I dove that wreck when I was living on the East Coast, and this will be the 100th anniversary of its sinking. How deep is it, and what shape was it in? It's 100 to 110 feet, completely upside down on its stacks, and it was an armored cruiser that sunk in World War One. hit a German mine in the shipping lanes uh, outside of New York City. They always said it was basically sitting on the st- on the guns. When we drove it in the late 80s, mid-80s, it was upside down, sitting on the gun turrets. And I guess it's shifted some since then. Uh, but now that I've got a little more experience than I had then, I'd love to go back and dive that again. And you said what date was that you were thinking? July 19th. 19th, okay. I've got a robotics competition on the 13th and 14th, but I think I can do the 19th. I'll have to call out and see who's running out to it. Maybe the Wahoo will go there. Yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, how deep is it? 110 to the sand. Oh, that's not bad. So, Darren, you're going to sit in the back seat of the truck with uh, the cup holder? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, <laughs> now, do, do those come in, in multi-packs? That was, was, was the other thing I was wondering about. Yeah, well, well, Randy and I are looking at a different car, and there's two cup holders that advertise the two cup holders in the back seat of the, the new car. Well, that was so a twin check pack it out right tomorrow. Yeah, that was a twin packer right there, though. <laughs> yeah. That was just one cup holder. Yeah, and if people are wondering, you just have to be in the chat room. You missed, a, you missed it. So did anybody get any diving in this week? I saw there were some call-outs for a Thursday, Thursday dive, but it looked like there were some... Scheduling conflicts going on? Yeah, I, I know Brian's been in the water. Skyler's back. He's been in the water. Oh, so he's officially back? He's uh, done with his training? Oh, he is, he is back. Yep, school is over. We got their little diplomas, and uh, I'm not sure how they're scoping around for jobs, or maybe they're just pulling heels for a little bit. Uh, well, Skyler is looking, and Jeremy got hired. With? Um, Local firm, salvage uh, firm. Or UCI? No. Our other guy who is... Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, very and good. Skyler's waiting to hear back from them. So they're, they're going to find out pretty quickly whether they like it or not. Yeah, seem to. That class looked like a lot of fun. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's always work, but you feel good when you, you try something new or New like that, then you're successful. Yeah. And it builds Floating up your, your enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. Floating barges and stuff. Skylar said he got to do a lot of very confined space work. <laughs> well, they, they probably saw him coming and went, oh, yes, we've got just the perfect well, spot for you. Yeah. Well, I told him before he went out there that, you know, being that he's not a really oversized individual, that that could be a very special niche for him that would demand a higher price to get into those really tight spaces that a lot of other people could not get into. Mm -hmm. You know, so if you need the very flexible, uh, small-framed individual. Non-claustrophobic. Yeah, who's, you know, damn good diver. I will tell you that it's very uncomfortable to crawl into a hole and realize you're going to have difficulty crawling out of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I'm you not... will think about it the second time it comes up once you get out the first time. You're <laughs> going to think about, maybe I don't want to do that again. Uh, that, that's... Without the right precautions. That's the key there, though. Yeah. Now, He's that... going to have some exciting adventures, I'll tell you. Yep. Yeah. Well, how about dives planned? Anybody got anything on the radar? Well, we have the dive on Saturday. Yep. I'll be working. Be, uh, yep, uh, Gold Lake, ah. turn 2 o'clock, SAS dive. Nice. Uh, they also had a dive on Wednesday, Saturday. Oh, they started their Wednesday dives? Yeah, that was, I'm not, I haven't posted it yet, but I did post they were doing a Wednesday. Uh, and then they're doing it on Saturday because they normally do it April Fool's Day, except normally it's not on Easter. Yeah. So I that thought that was when they started, it was after April Fool's Day when they started their Wednesday nights. Yeah, they normally start, they do a dive on April Fool, this time not because of Easter, so they're doing it Saturday. And I hear the water's already in the 40s, inland, not 
out in the big lake. Now, there was some talk about uh, getting out to Diamond Lake. Did anybody make it out there? I don't know. I did not see anything posted. I uh, who was that thinking about going out there on that? Was that John, Big John? I think it was John and Bob and Kevin were all, I thought, on that list talking about it. Yeah, because, I mean, they, I know they like that one. That's a, that's a you know, a good beginner, not a beginner, but the beginning of the season dive. Yeah, it's, it's a good warm-up. You can, especially if your boat, you just get in the boat out for the first time. Fairly small lake, relatively speaking. Yeah. And about the best viz typically you'll have on that lake would be about now, where people get out there in boats and start really stirring it up. And then uh, how did the open house go? I don't think I've I've talked to anybody since then. It went very well. Uh, we sold a few of the scooters we brought in and had some good specials that people took advantage of. And so that has uh, made a little room and shifted things around. And we've brought some, got some other new, more items coming in, and I've got uh, some more items on order. Excellent. I think the place looked really good, too. And I like, I mean, it. Somebody might say a little cheesy, but I liked all the dive flags around there. It looked nice and bright, you know, and looked like a dive shop. Yeah. Yep. We did that. We moved the uh, the antique counter over in front of the door a little bit, so that'll get more attention now. Set up an area for free materials, handouts. You know, made that highly visible. So we're gonna clean up that antiques cabinet and get more of the uh, high antique artifacts in there. And what do you mean by quality artifact? Well, someday when you're not at home, I'm going to come over and relocate some things for you. I have (laughs) actually got rid of almost every bottle I have except for the ones in my office. I gave a bunch to the museum again and gave it away to anybody who wanted it. And you can tell who took them. (laughs) You know who I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yep. And if you want to see them, folks, go to the uh, bottle show there. Uh, <laughs> in Kalamazoo. Yes, sir. Yeah. But I'd rather somebody be using them than me to have them in my garage like I had for years. Yeah. No, it makes perfect sense. I do have a search and salvage we need to work on sometime. Should Actually, we be talking I... about it over the air or should we be quiet? No, it's a. It's, uh snowmobile that's buried in the muck. Uh-oh. I need to get Rover out there and take a look at it, see if either that or get in and dive it myself, but I've been working diligently on Rover over the last month or so, and I think he's ready for uh, a water test. Oh. oh, very nice. Yeah. Do Do you have a really good fix for this? Because we've been there before. It's like, which of these holes did you say you think it went in? Yeah, uh, I I side scanned it and have a target, and did get some reflection through the muck along with a what's supposed to be a floating buoy above it. That's good. So I've got it on my my side scan and just need to go back and either jump in, swim around, check it out, or get Rover and send Rover down into the muck and see if he comes back with anything. Is this a? It's always much more fun to dive when you got a recovery. Yeah. Yeah. Makes a reason for going in over there. Now, is this? What are you going to do with it once you bring it up? Give it back to the owner. I'm sorry. Did you say hold it for ransom? Uh, yes. No, yeah. no. I'm going to. I'm going to see that it gets back to the owner. Oh. Ah. Was it this year that it fell in, or is it a been yeah. in there? Okay. No, it went in this year. Is this one of the items at the DNR or the local? Constable, Constable is going to be concerned about because of gas and oil? They might not be aware of it yet. Okay, uh, I know nothing. Yeah, you know, we just found this thing here. I brought it up, and then we'll have to figure out who it belongs to. Okay, I've done that before. Or we might have a snowmobile to work on next year. <laughs> All the gear out into the ice for us. Yeah. Sometimes you get lucky when you're going to do that. If you hadn't been down there long, I remember at Pawpaw we brought one up that had only been down a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. And they just dumped it out, dumped the gas out, filled it full of oil, drained the oil through it, pulled it over manually. The damn thing yeah. started. 
but it was a new mobile and had that solid state ignition. Mm. Uh, that guy was like, and it's like, don't turn the damn thing off. Let it get hot, burn it, and get hot. You know what I mean? Get that moisture out of there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, two two hours, and he got lucky. Well, it's funny. Uh, I was out with uh, Scrupa, and that was at, jeez, um, I think it was Barron Lake even. And we've been looking for one. The young lady had taken her dad's boat, and this was a smaller boat, with the new engine on the back, and got out in the middle of the lake, and then the motor fell off because the brackets weren't really tight. Uh, and uh, it took us, I bet, three weekends to find that damn thing. And we found it. Uh, um, he found it the last pass of the last line before we were moving again and just hit the blade because it went head down and barely touched the blade back over. Son of a gun. And it was to the left of the search line, meaning we were we were as far out as we were going to go. We are going to move it back in. Uh, Dumb luck. Got it in, did the same thing, started that sucker right up. They were very happy. Yeah, especially after three weeks. That sounds pretty amazing. But again, new it's a new motor, solid state. And it was upside down, so the gas didn't leak out. The oil was in it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they lucked out. Well, Mac, do you have a safety story or anything you wanted to cover? Well, yeah. Let me get my notes transferred right over to my big screen. This is not a safety item per se, but we're going to do a, a little... Incident report review, and then let you tell yourself what the problem was or what could have been done different. All right. Uh, oh, deep dive confusion. Incident report. We have three divers. We have diver Tom, who is advanced open water, 28 dives. Alex, open advanced open water diver, 43 dives. And Corwin, open water, four dives. This is Rock Reef off of Sicily, Italy. Conditions are visibility, 100 feet. 65 degrees Fahrenheit to water temperature, no significant current or wind. They were celebrating Corin's recent certification as a paddy open water diver. The trio made a boat dive in excellent conditions in the Mediterranean Sea. At anchor, the dive master suspended a weighted descent line from the stern and gave a briefing which included the fact that they were anchored in 40 foot of water on a step reef with the depth levels, depth levels as deep as 100. Tom, Alex, and Corwin planned a 50-foot, 45-minute maximum dive. They went down the descent line very slowly so Corwin could equalize. It took them 10 minutes to reach the bottom, where they moved a short distance from the line. Suddenly, Alex pointed urgently at her computer, which showed 95 feet. Mary checked his, checked his and shrugged. Corwin grinned awkwardly. Tom signaled for them to swim towards some fish activity, but Alex indicated she wanted to stay near the line. Okay, Tom signaled. Then he wandered around the vicinity with not much to see until Corin flashed his submissible pressure gauge showing 1,200 pounds. Trio went to the line, slowly ascended the line, made a safety stop, and surfaced after a short, not particularly fun dive. So the question is, what did they do wrong or did they do anything? Now, I can answer or do anybody want to make any comments? I mean, I... I can guess they didn't. Go for fo- it. They didn't follow their dive plan. All right. Yeah, that's correct. They w- they went deeper than they thought, and then than they, what they had planned to do. Right. Um, and how? Well, how, that was one of the two majors, don't you think? Yeah. Did not follow their dive plan. It was fifty. They're at ninety-eight right off the bat. I would have thought. What? Go back to fifty, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What what they did wrong on a rift with mu- multiple levels? They assumed incorrectly that the depth under the stern was the same as the anchor depth. They focused on line and equalizing, failing to check their computers to note how many times they were equalizing, the visual distance to the bottom, other clues that should have been revealed that they were going deeper than planned, like Corin had to stop and equalize multiple times. They significantly exceeded Corin's experience and training limits, failed to head up or board the dive when they discovered they were too deep. Now, by the same token, what did they do right? Well, they they stayed near the line, you know, didn't didn't venture off. Uh, they did their safety stop. Absolutely. What they did right was they stayed together, monitored their air supply, remained oriented to where they were and the line, and they ascended with adequate gas. So lessons learned, and nobody died. So that's my 
little item for the day. Yeah, I like that and one. It's good to have a little review of an accident, potential accident, that didn't result in somebody dying or going to the chamber. Mm-hmm. But four open water dives, 98 feet, I would have been apprehensive too had I been her problem. Or him, not her. Yeah. Well, you, you've just got out of your training, and that's all fresh in your mind of everything you're supposed to do. And then uh, you've got experienced divers you're diving with, and then kind of the nonchalant attitude of like, well, you know, okay. Yeah, they, they, it's always interesting, too, though. When you're warm and you've got visibility, you can sure handle things a lot different when it's cold and you can't see what the darn is. Now, if that had been a night dive, this could have ended really different. So I think the key one, like you said, is plan your dive, dive your plan. Well, let's so see. I'm done. You're, you're done? I'm done. Mm-hmm. Okay. That was a good one. I think when I can't find a real good safety one, I'm going to do some accident reports, but, and we'll go from there. Uh, I did send you some items for maybe next week. Did you see those? Yeah, I did see those. Maybe a I couple didn't, of weeks? Yeah, I, I didn't go all the way through them, but when we, when we get back, we can. Well, I did another one after that just for grins and giggles, and I came across two more that were similar to what we did last week, which was the major issue last week, remember, where people died? Oh. What was it? Uh, Snorkeling was... in Hawaii. Oh, there's, there's some, so that's, so that's the more of that it's coming up. Snorkeling. Six, six people dead in Australia. Snorkeling. Is this a case of where it's only being reported more that we're seeing it? Not know. that it's an, necessarily an increase? I don't know, but I know that the husband and wife were over 65, both had medical conditions, and both died from the coronary aspect. Uh, why they both died together, I don't know. That's a good way to go, I suppose. But it was, uh, they both had coronary issues and died. Mm-hmm. Uh, of the other four, one was 68. He was school. He was not snorkeling. And the other ones were younger than uh, 55. They did not identify if they were using full face or not. But I thought it quite interesting that you had another report of snorkeling deaths, you know, six people in, I think, two or three weeks yeah. period of time. And they went into the aspect that, you know, once you're over a certain age, and I think they they were being conservative. They said 65. <laughs> uh, they said, you should be getting at least a medical every two years. Well, maybe every year would yeah. probably be more like it. Yeah, I, I think many of us uh, get them more frequently than that. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a, still a tad bit younger than 65, and, and I have a physical every year. Whether you want one or not. Well, anybody have anything to plug before we get on out of here? Not at this particular time. Nope. No. But, I mean, it starts no, next week as the official, hey, let's get back in the water time. It's April. Come on. Yeah. I mean, I, I really like it to be above 50 if I'm going wedding, but, you know, we're yeah. Too. Yeah, should, should we do a poll? What do we think the uh, wrecks are going to look like this year? We think there's uh, more sand on them or less sand? I really have not a clue, but we've had some really good storms this year. I'd be very curious to see what happens on Max Rack, and I'd like to see what the Havana, because that had looked pretty good last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there was I mean, stuff opened up. Uncur- yeah, I, th- I think there was stuff that was opened up that we hadn't seen in a while. So I don't know, it, but it, it can be interesting. I also understand that uh, of Bridgman, they were going to close down that ramp for mm-hmm. launching boats. Mm-hmm. Uh, too many people said, no. Uh, you know, you're not being big boats, but the fishermen like it because, you know, you can manhandle a little boat yeah. or a Zodiac. Well, and part of it was that it was grandfathered in. Uh, for people who don't know that, uh, you know, in, in our area of Lake Michigan, you either have to go down to New Buffalo or you go up to St. Joe, and those are your, your major ports. And unless you have a boat you can carry down into the water, you can't get in. And Bridgman had one of the last... Uh, beach launches they they roll out a a mat every year and there's a you know a little bit of gravel base underneath it and if you have a small fishing boat you know 14 feet long and you got a four by four with some good traction you can put your boat and launch it right off the lake but they were the was it bridgman city or village i'm not sure which uh was talking about not doing it because it was too expensive and uh, a group of individuals got together and uh forced some research and found out that some of the prices that they were blaming on the boat ramp were actually 
uh, charges that were more than just the boat ramp. It wasn't that anybody was doing anything underhanded. It was just that's way, you know, the contract was and how it got entered. Uh, the, the, the excavation company, which brought the gravel also did other things for the park and, and roads. And it was all under one invoice. And instead of breaking it out individually, it just got all added into the one account. So it made it look like it was a little bit more expensive than it was. And then if you ignored the fees that people were paying to use the ramp, you know, they really weren't spending much money at all on it. So yeah, I, I hadn't heard that they had decided to keep it open, but I know there was quite a movement pushing of people in, in the community into the areas north and south who were wanting it to be kept open. It was grandfathered in, which means that it, it was before the permitting process. And they, the thought was that if they didn't do it one year, it would no longer be grandfathered and nobody would ever put up the money to have the environmental studies and everything that would be necessary to have it put in new again done. Well, you got it. You better use it. Yeah. And you got to admit, though, I mean, if you got a light boat, small motor, and you want to go out to Max Rec, that's the place you want a lot because you don't have to drive, you know. Yeah, I, I've I've looked, and you know, and other than maybe Bob's boat, we, we don't have a boat in the fleet that will uh, that was really able to go down that beach. And I even think Bob's might big, be a little big bit large. John's got one. Oh, does he? Oh, yeah, that's true. Oh yeah, we, we two guys on each side and him. We can manhandle that baby. Yeah, that kind of be fun. Because mm-hmm. you could just you could say okay everybody else will give you an hour head start and then you, know, you could launch from there and be out in max rec in about seven eight minutes. Yeah, and talking about that, I uh, saw the article in the paper by the Coast Guard and the local Marine Division. They are enforcing the no go zone around the nuclear plant, five hundred yards out from where the intake and discharges are, left and right, and that goes out twenty five hundred feet. And they said whether buoys are there or not, you know it. Don't go there. And I have seen a lot of guys putt right across it. I'm really curious to see if they enforce that because the pines sounded very high. Not to mention if they wanted to, you could take they could take the boat and things like that. So you think this is the case of the nuclear plants whining about it, so they just decided they had to react? I think it's because of the security aspects that if they know it's there, it's supposed to be, you know, abided by and the coasties are being notified of something, they will have to respond to it. But the issue is, I would have a launch point there so you could catch them in the act. Mm-hmm. Well, let me rephrase that. They got so many video cameras, you're videoed. Oh, yeah. So it's not it's not an issue now that I think about it out loud. They've got you because they can read your numbers very well from those cameras. Oh, yeah, the, the cameras they've got are going to pick that up. And no that's problem. day or night, people. They, yeah. they can see who you are. How you really ob- don't piss them off. How obvious is that area? I mean, because we're out there quite a bit, but I don't feel like we're in that area. But are we close or far? They generally have the buoys on the discharge, and you can see the swirl for the discharge and the intakes. Okay. So that's generally you don't go there. And you know where the boundaries of the plant are. You know, that's where the breakwater is. So when you start coming to plant property, go out a half a mile and go around. Yeah. Because you can see the shoreline, you know where you're not supposed to be at. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're in front, you can look at the plant and wait for the people in the dining area. You're in the wrong place. Yeah, yeah. I can remember being in the dining area before that became high security. I can remember back before the fence was up. I first hired in out there, and I got a job where you go out there and rake beach sand. And obviously, somebody's pulling my leg, but it's like wait a minute, warm summer day. Hell yes, give me that broom or give me that yeah. give me the rake. I go out there and rake sand. Yeah. Well, I can remember when my dad first started working out there at the nuclear plant. They It was called the Employee Club, and I think it was like $10, and they gave you a key, and you would drive onto the plant property, and before you went up to the visitor center, there was a gate yeah. the key unlocked, and you could drive your car all the way down to the beach and just... Oh, yeah. We used to have beach parties out there. We had the same stuff. Yeah. If you're an employee, that was a benefit, because they had the, uh, you know, the old big steel ramps they had for landing aircraft on the islands. Uh-huh. See them in the movies. They brought a bunch of those out, tossed them out, so you could you could drive your whatever you wanted out. Uh-huh. And people would bring their boats. We'd had lots of parties. Once the plant got functional, it's like, okay, now we're not going to do that anymore. <laughs> oh, well. It was fun while it lasted. Yeah. 
But well, I thought it was interesting they put a thing in the paper, and they were really trying to bring people's awareness to it. Yeah, well, it's it's good that they're going to do the awareness. I like that they, they kind of highlight it before they start enforcing it. Is that on the charts, Jim? Have you looked at any recent charts? Yeah, the exclusion zone is on there. And there is no excuse, because I know Palisades is the same. Yeah. Yeah, if you see the green glowing water, you're probably too close. If you see green glowing water, you're in the spinful pit. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want to follow us, you can visit our website, www.scubaobsessed.com. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash scubaobsessed. On Twitter at scubaobsessed. We could certainly use your support. Visit our website, click on the Patreon link, and drop us some funds. $3 or more gets you early access to the show notes. So thanks once again for listening, downloading, and uh, tell your friends. So are you guys ready? I am ready. Yep. And this, I'm sitting down. And this one's another one from Rod Down Under. The turkey was chatting with a bull. I would love to be able to get to the top of that tree, sighed the turkey, but I haven't got the energy. Well, why don't you nibble on some of my droppings, replied the bull. They're packed with nutrients. The turkey pecked at a lump of dung and found it actually gave him enough strength to reach the lowest branch of the tree. The next day, after eating more dung, he reached a second branch. Finally, after a fourth night, the turkey was proudly perched on the top of the tree. He was spotted by the farmer, who shot him right on out. Moral of the story, bullshit might get you to the top, but it won't keep you there. <laughs> That's a good one. Alrighty. That's not even a groaner. <laughs> it's a, a little bit of that truth for you. So on that note, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. And if you choose to eat BS, well, just don't tell us about it, please. <laughs>